Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. This morning we're going to continue in Romans chapter 6 and rounding out the chapter. So I want you to turn now to chapter 6, starting in verse 14. And as we turn there, I want us to remember again that in the first five chapters... Paul has made the most compelling case that all of us are guilty to sin and that we all deserve the righteous wrath of God. And thank God, Paul also explained that the forgiveness and the eternal life that we can have through faith in Christ Jesus. And Paul, I think, summed it up best for Christians in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, which we discussed a couple weeks ago. But he said, For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, and so much more, having been reconciled, we have been saved by his life. So as we go in through this morning, we know that the Lord Jesus has given Christians an everlasting victory over sin and death. And last week, in verses 1 through 14, God's word showed us how to live in victory in Christ, which he has already provided for us. And this morning's scripture focuses on the freedom that we have in Jesus. So, let's think about that God-given freedom that he has given us. First, a story. A man saw some quail walking in a circle around a pole. And each bird had a string attached to its leg, and they continued to walk around and around that pole for hours on end. And the man felt sorry for the little birds, so he paid the price and he bought all of them. And then he began to cut the strings off their legs. And the merchant said, well, what are you doing? And the seller was in in disbelief. He's like, what are you doing? He said, I'm setting them free. But even though those strings were cut, the birds continued to walk around that pole hours upon hour upon hour. They didn't realize that they were free to fly, that they were bought by a new owner, and that new owner even took it to the next step and shooed them away. They didn't realize they had their freedom. Even though they knew, they could clearly see they were not attached anymore, they still stayed. Now, Christians, Jesus Christ paid the highest price for us and set us free. We are free. But sometimes we don't feel like it, do we? And sometimes we don't live like we're free. 
Sometimes we keep going around in that same old circle, but the Lord wants to give us and he wants us to live in the freedom that he's already given to us. And this morning's scripture shows us what it means to live free in Christ. Now, for the last two weeks, we've explored that the first 14 verses of chapter 6, where Paul answers the question, since God is a God of grace, why don't I or we live a lifestyle of sin so that I can experience more of that grace? Like we should be proud of the sin that's in our lives and that if we have more sin in our lives, then that gives us more opportunity to be graced by God. I think a lot of people fall into that misconception. It is not we sin more so that we receive more grace. We live in grace because God has given us freedom to do so, and so we need to do it. And while that is an absolutely crucial passage of Scripture for us to understand and to take to heart, I really doubt that most genuine Christians really take the position that one can be a disciple of Jesus and still live a life of sin. They don't go hand in hand. It's one or the other. But the question that Paul poses in verse 15 is another matter altogether. It is much more like, we conclude, like the teenager who wanted to go to that movie that it might be possible to sin just a little bit and still be a good Christian. But as we see this morning, Paul answers that question just as emphatically as he answered the question in verse 1. So Romans 6, verse 14 says this, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. This has been emphasized all throughout the book of Romans. Even though we are sinners, we are saved by grace. We do not experience God's wrath. We experience God's love. Verse 15, what then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. I understand that as a Christian, I can't continue in a lifestyle of sin. I cannot continue to be in a lifestyle of sin and call myself a Christian. And I also understand that it's not okay if I dabble in sin. Although they may not actually verbalize it, I often see Christians who live based upon this similar question. Once again, Paul doesn't beat around the bush here. He gives the exact same answer as he gave in verse 1. He says, by no means. There's no wiggle room here. It's one or the other. But as I've mentioned frequently, Paul doesn't just give us an answer to move on to the next one. He goes in depth because he knows, just like people of those days, we are exactly the same. We like to beat a topic to death. I want to answer... I want an answer, I want an answer, and then I have more questions upon your answer. That's just who we are. We're inquisitive. And I think a lot of times we want different answers because it doesn't fit into our belief or our thinking of what is truth. And so we try to twist it in a way that is relevant for us. But Paul says clearly that that's not the case. The truth is laid out for us. We are not to dabble, not even a little bit, 
in sin. If we claim to be disciples of Christ, we do not dabble in it. So, the question to that answer, or the answer to that question is emphatically no. So let's move on to verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey, that you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness? Moving on to 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, and yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from your sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So here's how I would kind of characterize Paul's message here. And it goes like this. A genuine disciple of Jesus can't go back to work for his or her old boss. You follow me? We cannot keep going back to sin. If we are slaves to Christ, we are, not, we are no longer a slave to sin. It shouldn't be existing in our lives. But Paul here is going to use a rather unusual and unexpected picture to explain his answer here. And that is, of course, of slavery. And you know that this is unexpected because Paul basically, uh, he apologizes for using that illustration in verse 19. And we'll get to that in a minute. But he points out that he has been forced to use it because of the natural limitation of man's thinking. So because of our lack of knowledge and because of our lack of desire to understand things, it has to be explained in a way that kind of gets our attention. And that's what Paul is saying here. But at the same time, and it's also very helpful in explaining why a genuine disciple of Christ can't intentionally debate even or even dabble with people who are in sin. So what's the saying that we always love the sinner but hate the sin? It's the same concept. But here's the picture I think Paul is trying to paint in the minds of his readers. He's asking them to imagine going down to the slave market and asking one of the slaves who his master is. Now, when he answers, it's kind of like with most of our political candidates. We have no idea if he's really telling the truth, so we have to fact-check him. And I hate that word. I know most of you do too. But they fact-check him, right? But instead of watching videos of what he said in the past, or pulling up his past tweets, or his Facebook, he just watches him for a while. And as we see whose commands he obeys, he either confirms or he refutes the answer he gives us. Would you consider yourself a good judge of character? I thought I was. In the political realm, I thought I was. And then they seem to disappoint you every time. So where do we put our faith? We put the faith in the men and women who proclaim the truth, that are un unmatched, they are unafraid, they are unapologetic about the truth. And that's what Paul is saying here. We need to be unapologetic about the truth. We are sinners. We sin. We are not to be slaves to that sin. We are to be slaves to Christ. Only then can we be true disciples of Jesus Christ. And because we are greatly influenced 
by the idea of political freedom in this country, I think we have a tendency to think that freedom means that we're not in servitude to anything or anyone that is so far from the truth. But the point that Paul is making here is in the section is that Jesus does give freedom. But that freedom is merely the ability for us to decide which master we are going to serve. In other words, we have a choice. Are you going to be a master to sin? Are you going to allow our sin to be the master? Or are you going to allow Christ to come in and rule your life? Now, as Christians, we know that we have a new master, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why verse 14 tells us that we are not under the law, but under grace. And of course, the problem is never with God's law, because good rules are good for us. Good rules are good for us. And those rules are not meant to punish. They're meant to show love. Period. This is not a negative thing. To call us a sinner is like saying the sky is blue. God's not trying to punish us here. He's trying to tell us that you are free from that sin. So go and live like you are free from that sin. Because we know that God's rules are perfect. And we know that his law to us is perfect. So he creates these things so that we don't hurt ourselves. Not to get punished, but to so we don't hurt ourselves. And so we won't hurt other people. And then in turn, we won't hurt him. And I say that because our sin grieves God. Our sin grieves God. So God's rules are good for us. And Moses put it in this way in Deuteronomy chapter 10. He says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. For your good. Underline that. These are for our good. Because God's rules are perfect. And the only problem with his law is that it is our total inability to obey it on our own. Did you understand that? We do not have the ability to obey it on our own. That's where he steps in. That's where he reveals his love to us. Because even though we are sinners, he loves us. And he was willing to sacrifice it all to free us from that sin. And this is also why God's word says things like, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. God's giving us all these outs, basically. He's giving us an opportunity to love him back, because that's what he wants. He doesn't want to see us sin because it grieves him. He wants to see us succeed. So when you're asking the question to yourself, why is God allowing me to go through this? Why is God allowing me to have difficulties in my life? It's very simple. Because he loves you. He wants the best for you. And so he may be creating an opportunity for you that you don't understand. But when you walk through it, not alone, but with him, 
He reveals that to us. He reveals to us that we are no longer slave to that sin. We are no longer slave to the thoughts in our head that tells us that we're not good enough. That we're not able to accomplish that. That's when God steps in and says, it's already been done. You've already accomplished it. Because I've made it so. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then it says in Romans 3, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jew and Greek, and that they are all under sin. Nobody is exempt from this. So I know that when we're out in the world and we're proclaiming to be disciples of Christ, and those opportunities come up where we can tell others about Christ, it is very, very easy for the opposition to try to hang us up a little bit. Because as a disciple of Christ, we bear that tag of hypocrisy. We do. We bear that tag. Without Jesus Christ, we are all slaves to sin. Even if we don't know it, and let me tell you, most people don't know it. But that's why even good rules are hard to keep. There's a father, and he had a son who was five years old. And the dad had a hard time getting his son to stay in his bed at night. And most parents probably know what that's like. The kids are getting up and down, up and down, up and down. And so finally one night the father decided he was going to lay down the law. And he told his son there would be no more talk after they had said their prayers together. It was quiet time. And so the son asked if he could have a glass of water. And so he obliged. He went and got him a glass of water. They told each other their good nights. And then he turned off the light. Well, the dad was certain he had everything under control, but we all know that's not possible with a five-year-old. And minutes later, the son, calling out for his dad, he says, I need another glass of water. So the father got up, and he obliged, and got him a glass of water. But then when he went back in, he went over the rules again. He goes, okay, this is it. He goes, once I give you this glass of water, you are to lay in bed, there's no more talking, it's time to go to sleep. But five minutes later, the son asked for another glass of water. And the dad told the son he would get him a spanking on top of that water if he had to come in again. To which the child replied, Dad, when you come in here to spank me, would you bring me another glass of water? (laughs) But the son got the glass of water, but there was no spanking. That's because the dad showed grace. He showed grace. And thank God for that amazing grace. Verse 14 tells us we are under the law. We are not under the law, but we're under grace. And thank God that Jesus Christ has set us free. And thank God that he was willing to take our punishment when he died on that cross for our sins. And now our risen Savior offers real freedom to everyone who will put their trust in him. What a great promise. 
And that's what Paul is talking about in verses 17 and 18. When he said, But God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, and yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. The New Living Translation says, Thank God, once were slaves of sin, but now you have obeyed with all your heart the new teaching God has given you. When we become obedient to Christ, we are new. We are brand new. I don't know about you, but I love receiving brand new things. It doesn't happen very often, but when you receive that brand new thing and you think, oh, this is so great, what am I going to do with it? And sometimes we're able to preserve the newness of something, and then there's other times where it just fades, and then it becomes the old thing. But what God is telling us here is that he has made us new. We are no longer slaves to that sin. But we need to have that renewed passion, that renewed joy that we have knowing that we have that freedom. We don't let that be the old thing. We don't have the opportunity to go back to that old self or the old job that we were a part of or the, new, or the old boss. God says he's made that all new. Living free in Jesus Christ means that we can be ruled by God's righteousness. We can be ruled by his righteousness. And, and in turn, we get that brand new beginning. And we can see our new beginning in verse 19. Paul says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members or the parts of your body as slaves to uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. God has given us this body. Some of us enjoy this body, some of us do not. And wonder why he did what he did, and that's how I know God has a sense of humor. But God has created you specifically for a reason. We are a weapon for truth. We are weapons for truth. But if this hand is doing something other than this hand, we are completely inoperable. So we can't dabble in sin. We can't be a part of that. If we are to be a true disciple of Christ, we have to take up our job as a weapon for Christ and use it accordingly. And when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as far as God is concerned, that slate is wiped clean. We're new. We also get a new beginning in life because we are born again in the Holy Spirit of God. And now we can truly present our bodies as lives to the righteous and holy ways of God. That has to happen. And this is what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, when he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus Christ gives us that brand new life. So now we are able to present ourselves in that righteous way and we can perform the holy ways of God. And I'm not saying that we're going to be perfect because we're not. But with Jesus Christ, we can start heading in that direction of perfection. And God promises that one day 
we will make it. We will make it when we stand before him and he tells us, you've made it. What an awesome day that will be. What an awesome day that will be. But we also need to also know that we as Christians, we know that we cannot get there without Jesus Christ. But we need to tell others that. We need to tell others that it's not your good works. It is not because you know somebody, brothers, sisters, dogs, uncles, cousins, brother, that goes to church, so that makes you saved. No, it is only through the blood and the saving grace of Jesus Christ that we get there. Any dead fish can float downstream. Any dead fish can float downstream, but it takes life to swim against that strong current of the world that we live in. In other words, this is not going to be easy. It's really easy to lay it out for you in sermon form. But when you get out there and you're doing what God has called you to do, we are like that salmon that swims upstream. And that's what they live for. They swim up that stream so that they can accomplish their goal and then it's done for them. That's it. And I know that sounds bleak for our life, but that, was, that is God's intention for our lives here. That is his intention for us. Because we know the rewards are great. That's why we swim up the stream. That's why we continue to fight back the negativity of those who live in the world. It's because we know, without a shadow of a doubt, that we are saved through Jesus Christ. And they need to know that too. Only the hand of God holding me up will make it possible to fulfill our purpose in life. It's only through his power. And that first step is a relationship with his son and a relationship with God. You have to understand that you are going to struggle by your own strength. You will struggle by your own strength. But God's desire is to transform you from the inside out. When we surrender our lives to Christ, the Bible tells us that God literally puts his spirit inside of us. And we are born of a new creation. God calls us to go where we don't have the strength to go. He calls us when we don't have the strength to go. You know why? Well, it's like I said a couple weeks ago. I think God likes to show off a little. And why not? What an awesome God we have. We are called to become like our Heavenly Father. His goodness is so far from our ability that we can't make it on our own strength. That was by design. That was by design. Why do you struggle? Because God wants to come alongside you. Why do we go through tough things? Because God is measuring you up. How can I use you? How can I use you for the betterment of my kingdom? Living free in Jesus Christ means we get that brand new beginning. But it also means, let's go back, go back a step here. But it also means we get holy shame for our sins. Understand that. We see this truth in verses 20 through 21. Paul says, for when we were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then? In the things which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. Now this new shame we have as Christians is not a bad thing. 
Understand that. It is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. And yes, it may be painful, but holy shame is a good thing for a couple of reasons. First, all holy shame gives us evidence. It gives us evidence. It gives us evidence of our new outlook on life as Christians. And because of our salvation, we have a new attitude and new feeling towards sin. Before, when we lived a life without Christ, we didn't think about sin. That word didn't come into our vocabulary. It was just something we did. Just something we believed we did, right? We begin to see sin for the ugly, deadly thing that it is when Christ is in our life. We want nothing to do with it. And when we sin, it causes us pain. This was the life of Christ. He knew no sin, but took on that sin. Not just before our own salvation, but because God loved us so much, he, want his, he wanted to show us that he could endure it too. He endured it for you, because he knew you were going to endure it too. He created us in his image, so why wouldn't he do the same as we? Edwin Turnage said something that happened at a um, revival many, many years ago. And the men were all gathered together in a group. And the leader took them through an exercise to help them confess their sins. He gave them all a piece of paper and he told them to tear it. And if they wanted to confess a sin, tear off a piece of paper. And first he called out something like pride. And he could hear in the background, rip, 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 rip. And then he said dishonesty. Rip, 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 rip. But then the leader called out the sin of lust. And there was total silence in the room. And there was some mighty quiet paper tearing going on there. Why? Because they were ashamed. And they shouldn't have been. But by the way, shouldn't we also be ashamed of pride and dishonesty? It's all the same. But here's the point. If you are a true believer of Jesus Christ, one of the best proofs is shame for that known sin. If you can knowingly sin without shame, that's pretty strong evidence that you are not saved. Because holy shame gives us evidence, but it also gives us assistance. Holy shame helps us to turn away from that sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 calls this godly sorrow. It comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And the Apostle Paul tells us that this godly sorrow is a good thing. Why is that? Because it leads us to turn away from sin and turn towards our Savior Jesus Christ. It allows us to put our faith our understanding, and our reliance directly onto him. And sometimes we feel guilty because we are guilty. And it hurts. And Psalms 34 talks about this kind of hurt. And it says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as a contrite spirit. And as King David confessed his sins in Psalm 51, David prayed, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering, 
And the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Holy shame helps us turn away from sin. And that's why it's a good thing. And living free in Jesus means we get holy shame for our sins. But finally, it also means that we get a holy harvest. Verse 22 reminds us of the holy harvest God wants in our lives. And the Apostle Paul said, But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. God wants us to have fruitful lives. He wants us to overflow with the fruit of his spirit in our lives. Galatians 5, that's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, all those things. The Lord wants us to have fruitful lives and being a positive influence for the kingdom of God and helping more people come to Christ. That's job one. The kind of spiritual fruit was on Paul's heart when he opened this letter to the Christians in Rome. And we talked about this a long time ago. It's been a couple years now, but in Romans chapter 1. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greek and to barbarian, both to wise and unwise. So, as much as it is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, but also to the Greek." For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. God wants us to have fruitful lives. And that's why and also in 2 Corinthians, Paul lifted up this prayer. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Living free in Christ Jesus also provides the holy harvest. It also means we have God's greatest gift. We already have God's greatest gift. We see it in verse 23. Paul says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It shows that God thinks we deserve it. Even though we know we don't. God thinks it, so therefore it is. The wages of sin is death, but not just physical death, but spiritual death, eternal death, eternal separation from God, spending all eternity in hell. That is what we all deserve. Because we know that we are all guilty of sin. But in that also, in verse 23, it also shows what God desires. God wants us to receive that gift of eternal life. We could never earn that eternal life. It must be received as a gift. So Paul said the wages of sin is death, 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in 1 John verse, uh, chapter 5, John told the Christians, This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is only found in his Son. Amen. Eternal life is a free gift for all who receive it. But it came at the highest possible price. The death of God's only begotten Son on that cross for those sins. So this morning, we need to stop and think about what Jesus really did for us on that cross. And over the years and years to come, I'm sure that I will be meeting with people, couples, groups, that will ask these questions. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to live free in Christ Jesus? It means that you're no longer a slave to that sin. Christ has provided that pathway for us to take, and I hope we take hold. But more importantly, that we don't keep it for ourselves, that we tell others about it. If someone shot you, and I jumped in the way, and took that bullet for you, that would, might be a wonderful thing, at least for you. might hurt for me. But Jesus Christ did so much more for you. He didn't just take our physical death. We faced everlasting torment and destruction in hell. That's worse than a bullet, don't you think? And it was coming straight for us. But God was there and he intervened. And he pushed us out of the way. And Jesus stepped in front of that bullet, per se. The gift of eternal life can only be received by believing in Jesus Christ. And other scriptures make this clear all throughout the Bible. So what does that mean for us? It just means everybody needs to believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to have saving faith? It means accepting that eternal life that God has given to you. It means believing is like receiving a gift from someone who loves you. Imagine that it's your birthday and someone stops by for a visit and they say, I love you very much. And I also happen to be very rich. And my hand is a little wrapped up box and inside the box is a key. Maybe it's a key to that $75,000 Bass Cat Puma Bass Boat that you were looking for. Or maybe it was that Ford F-150 Limited Edition that you were looking for. Or maybe it's a million dollar home. But I tell you how much I love you. I tell you about the gift and I leave the box on the table for you. The key is in the box and it's yours for the taking. But you never take the wrapping paper off that gift and you never open the box and you never know what that gift truly is. So did you really receive it? Did you really receive the gift if you didn't open it? No. In order to receive God's gift of eternal life, you don't open a box. You open your heart. You open your heart to him. And now the risen Savior freely offers that gift to you. But you have to receive it. You have to receive it. And this new spiritual life is the reality that becomes ours at the moment that we trust in Jesus Christ. Eternal life doesn't start when you die. Eternal life starts when you believe 
in Christ. And that's why John 3.36 tells us, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Eternal life doesn't start when we die. It starts when we believe, and it never ends. It lasts forever. So we put our trust in the Lord, we receive his gift of eternal life, and we begin to live in that freedom that only Jesus Christ can give. Amen? Amen. Stand together with me. Dave's going to come and lead us in our benediction. And if you have never received that gift of eternal life, I pray that today is that day that you will receive it. Talk with someone. Don't leave this building without knowing it for sure. Mm. That you know that Jesus Christ is that only way. Dave. You know, I was sitting here thinking as he's preaching this morning. I'm so thankful. We keep preaching this truth and singing his truth. You know what? We're going to be okay. He's going to draw us to places we've never imagined. As his word declares that he will show us great and mighty things we did not know. It's because of our hearts before him singing this truth off of this message. Lord, you're a holy God. You are a holy God and all-consuming fire. Your majesty, bright shining as the sun. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love and your provision. And that, Lord, we are not under the law, but we are under your grace. Thank you that you extend it to us. Thank you that we do not deserve, or actually, and rather, we do deserve your wrath. But you hold it from us because you love us. And you paid the ultimate price of your son dying on the cross so that one day, when this is all said and done, we can stand before you and you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we look forward to that day. In the meantime, Lord, we're excited to get to work. We're excited to uh, receive the opportunities that you will place before us as we try 
the best we can, Lord, to further your kingdom. We thank you and we love you. And it's in your name we pray this afternoon. Amen. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.